Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Weekly Racing Roundup. I'm your host, Race Car Dave, with all the news of the week in the world of motorsports. Well, I was planning on having a pretty short, easy show this week. The only race going on was an exhibition race, the Bush Clash the Coliseum, ahead of uh, qualifying for Daytona next week. That ended up being a good show. And uh, what else happened? Hmm, can I think? Oh, yeah, Formula One decided to uh, chime in with a couple of major news stories this week. So let's take a look at the Bush Clash first, and then we'll get into the Formula One news. All right, first up on the report this week, some actual on-track action from the Cup Boys, giving us a bit of an amuse-bouche, if you will. The Bush Clash at the Coliseum. This is their, they're in the third year of their new format, kind of season-beginning all-star race, if you will, that had replaced the Bud Paul shootout of previous years. Uh, this is a race in the bottom of the L.A. Coliseum. That's right. This is a football stadium. What that gives you is about a quarter-mile racetrack, roughly half the length of the shortest regular season NASCAR racetrack. Uh, it always turns into a bit of a tickling contest down there. This is just an exhibition race, so there's no points on offer. That does tend to lead to some aggressive racing. Uh, but usually not too many hurt feelings. Most of the race was dominated by three drivers. Ty Gibbs, Denny Hamlin, and Joey Logano uh, were kind of the uh, head and shoulders above the field uh, this week. Um, Denny and uh, Joey started on the front row, and, and Kyle or Ty started third. It was kind of obvious through the duration of the race that Ty Gibbs did, in fact, have the best car of the race. But since he's not known to be the friendliest driver in the grid, uh, he may have uh, incurred the wrath of some of his competitors later in the race. Um, ultimately, he led the most laps, but uh, in a late race restart, he was spun out and he tumbled down the order to finish well, well down the order. But it didn't really matter because this race is just kind of a show race. In the end, the podium was Denny Hamlin, Kyle Busch, and Ryan Blaney. Interesting, Ryan Blaney, the current cup champion, did start the race all the way back in 23rd, taking a provisional champion starting spot, and did manage to race up to the front of the race. Very interesting. Despite how tight this little bull ring was, he was managed to make moves throughout the event and get himself from 23rd to 3rd, obviously, I think that probably gives him the Driver of the Day award, surely because of the the lunacy of trying to pass 20 cars on a tiny little single-line racetrack. The Cup Boys will be going over to Daytona starting next week to begin their two-week residency, getting ready for the Daytona 500. Next Sunday, they will be doing the Bud, or whatever they're going to call it this year, the Bud Pole Qualifying, the Pole Position Qualifying. We'll get into a little bit more details about how you actually qualify for the Daytona 500 next week. 
Up next, we're going to have a special guest. We're going to have Gray Thompson from the Gray Zone podcast. Longtime friend, longtime race watching buddy come in, and we're going to discuss some of the comings and goings that Formula One had this week. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome Gray Thompson Hello. to the roundup. Hello. Hey, we're going to... Gray and I are going to take a look at uh, the news that happened this week in the world of Formula One. They have managed to make themselves relevant for possibly <laughs> not the right reasons. Relevant. So uh, int- introduce yourself. <laughs> introduce yourself, Gray. Um, I will say first and foremost, I wouldn't be here at all in any sense of the term if not for you, Dave Adams. So thank you for everything because you introduced me to motorsport, but more importantly, Formula One. And we were living together in Cincinnati, Ohio, watching Speed TV pretty relentlessly. Speed TV. Oh, yes. Um, you're like, watch these guys on these 500cc motorbikes. They're called Savages. And, oh, have you ever seen World Rally? Let's sit down. It's 3 a.m. Like, we lived a pretty clean life. We weren't out there, like, clubbing or drinking like crazy all the time. But, man, we spent some long nights watching Speed TV. So, um, that's we me. Did. Thank you. We yeah. did. I miss Speed tv or speed vision <laughs> you and i obviously are both big big uh disciples of the church of bob varsha and steve matchett so. that's right <laughs> okay so uh there was some news this week uh the first story which i believe broke on tuesday was the fia decided to not allow andretti motorsport to join the grid for 2025 uh any initial reactions on that um uh in all sincerity i was surprised i thought I know there was some turmoil with this, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but I really didn't... We've seen so many other teams come in, like bad teams, including teams like Force India, you know, and then just vanish a few years later. I don't know why they would ever stop something like this, so I just didn't think it was going to happen. I thought this was just a formality or waiting on the timing, and the timing was just going late. But when they said, yeah, no Andretti, and then I heard the reasons, I was shocked a little bit, and I still kind of am. I suppose okay, more than so, anything else, I'm pissed, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. As, uh, you know, a lot of Europeans look at us American Formula One fans like we all started watching two, three years ago, and, and that's just <laughs> not the case. There may not be a bunch of us that started, but when you started watching in 95, 96, you yeah. feel like you've invested a lot of your time and fandom into the sport. Uh, let's kind of, talking about the controversy, mm-hmm. uh, they did put out a statement. And kind of one of their first points to your point about, you know, you know, amazing historic teams like Marusha and Caterham <laughs> is that uh, they said in order for a team to add value to the sport, they need to come in and can be competitive. Um, where did they come up with this idea? <laughs> and how would you deny that one of the biggest, I mean, arguably the biggest American racing family wouldn't be competitive? And let's take it a step further, Dave. What if they weren't? What if they were trash? What if they were the worst, which we've seen from plenty of teams before? They would still bring interest. They would improve in a sport where only one team won every race except for one race last year. Arguing about competitiveness being the reason just seems short-sighted, seems illegitimate. It seems dumb like nobody believes that it can't be true it can't be it's just not logical it does seem a bit hollow i think that um and this might go a little bit to the second point but being as f1 just recently under liberty restructured is more of a franchise system 
as opposed to an open-ended system. And now for the first time in history, we're a couple years under Liberty uh, Media ownership that all the teams are getting a cut of the TV money. I mean, it's, yeah. it's no secret that they looked, they looked to the NFL to how to evenly distribute money or at least distribute the funds in such a way that all the teams are getting paid. And do you think perhaps this is just kind of a garbage argument to for the current 10 teams to protect their financials? Um, yeah, let's put it this way. I get it if that's the argument. It's kind of weak because you're talking about one of the largest economies in the world in America um, with three of the biggest events in Formula One every year with the biggest family name in racing, it just doesn't make sense that that wouldn't add value if that's the argument. Like, we want to protect our value. Okay, that makes sense. You're, you're talking about Andretti. I mean, this is like yeah. adding the Manning family to the NFL, if you're going to make that comparison. And look yeah. at what they're doing. They're adding tremendous value just by broadcasting during live shows. Yeah. Um, the value argument is interesting. Do you think that perhaps Formula One is feels they're getting their value already in the fact that they're getting their viewership numbers or uh i mean i know you know if that's the case then then let's stop all this talk about why we need to limit spending right let's bring that back yeah. because that was always yeah. stupid yeah uh another thing they noted is that they would love to ha have andretti uh, and one of the things they think would add value is Andretti is talking about coming in with General Motors, specifically Cadillac. But Cadillac is not prepared, or General Motors in general is not prepared to provide a power unit until 2028. So it looks like they want that engine, but they don't necessarily want another car for the engine to go into. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Honda, they were going to use Honda engines and then Honda left, right? I mean, this takes so many years that you've seen a title-winning engine completely vanish from existence, so to speak. And that kind is of. a... Yeah, I know it's not quite that yeah. simple, but it did cause a problem. Like, So let's put it this way. What if they did have Honda engines and Honda was still in it? And guess what? Winning championships. And Andretti was coming in with a new racing team with Honda engines. Would this still have happened the same way? Maybe, uh, because it no, sounds I mean, that, it sounds a little petty behind the scenes rather than yeah, like that, not being competitive. Yeah, that does again, it does it does reek of being petty. Uh the one kind of argument that they did put up which I did think had a little bit of merit, although they're making this assumption is that there will be a major rules change in 2026. So I could almost see the argument for allowing them to come in in 26 so they don't make a, a car for one year and then have to completely redesign the car. But again, that that's the only part of the FIA's argument that seems even partially valid. But yeah, the rest of it just kind of reeks of kind of protectionism. And uh, we've already got your money, America, because you guys are all behind Haas and you guys are no. all behind Logan Sargent, you guys have your token representation, or at least enough for us to get your your dollars yeah. and your viewing eyeballs. I hear where you're, I get that too. I just don't think it wouldn't be worth it to have more. That's all. I, and Andretti I, would I, create more. And uh, kind of my last point on this is, you know, there are probably two other organizations that could have done it and have chose not to. Penske Motorsports obviously has at this point nigh on infinite resources okay uh probably more than ganassi racing but these are teams that are north american you know 
dynasties and royalty. Um, but Michael Andretti, when he did go to Formula One, kind of showed a lack of commitment to the Formula One life. Like he didn't choose to move over to Europe. He flew over for all the races and all the practice. And I wonder if this is just like a 40-year-old grudge or, or just like a, a bad first impression that maybe Michael put out in the I've, early I've 90s. heard that, that too. That would be a huge reach. Yeah. That would be so stupid too, wouldn't it? Like yeah. a grudge? You know, Dave, I live in Greenville, South Carolina. We've got the BMW manufacturing for North America. We've got Michelin headquarters here for North America. You know, Haas isn't that far away. And it's mm -hmm. not like people are all around. Do you see people wearing Haas gear? Like, seriously. I don't think Haas, like, revolutionized Formula One in America or, like, sort of created this market. That Drive to Survive show did, which is weird because it's from last year every year, and I get it, but it worked. I meet more people who ask me about Formula One because of Drive to Survive. Ne nobody asks me about Haas. Nobody. Nobody that I've seen has become a fan of Haas because of the show, like, getting them into the sport. But I'd like to think Andretti would. To be honest, I'd buy an Andretti shirt, or I'd certainly pay more attention. I don't think anybody in America who doesn't watch Formula One could name any Formula One racer, but they could name Mario Andretti, right? Yeah. They might not know what he looks yeah. like, right? They might not recognize yeah. him on the street, but it's not the same. And I don't think there's anybody else like that in America. And that's why it's. No. I think it would be a, such a huge catalyst that how did we... Look, I wish Formula One would have... Um, deliberately tried harder to make it work rather than find reasons not to that's what it feels like yeah they they seem to be looking for problems not for solutions and again i hear you on not moving to europe in the early 90s but good grief man like yeah so that was a long ago. time ago that was a long time ago and there's a lot of good faith money put up well that was tuesday <laughs> <laughs> that was tuesday but then was it third? Was it Wednesday or Thursday? It's Thursday, February first, twenty twenty-four, will forever be known. I love it to us sad Tifosis <laughs> as St. Louis Day. St. <laughs> Louis Hamilton is going to cut ties with Mercedes Benz, and he's going to move to Ferrari. Um, yeah. Your thoughts first. <laughs> uh, I'll say this. January is my least favorite month of the year. It sucks. It's nothing but turmoil and sickness and darkness. I just hate it. There's nothing to do. There's fevers. Like, there's no Formula One, right? Mm -hmm. And so the first day of February, here in Greenville, it was sunny. It was warm. It was like 68 degrees. And Lewis Hamilton commits to Ferrari, which in and of itself is pretty exciting news. But it became national news in sports media here in America. So everybody's talking about it. That's why it's so great. Lewis Hamilton is the ultimate catalyst for the sport. He's the guy that everybody knows, even if they don't watch Formula One. He's a superstar. And to be coming to what I would argue is the superstar of the sport itself, Ferrari, I'm so just stoked to see it be part of the news cycle. And the honest truth is, I love Ferrari. You know this. Thank you for your support. Lewis Hamilton is... I don't like to get into the argument of greatest of all time. Like, I just, I hate those things. You can't use the word best. Lewis Hamilton is inescapably one of the most competitive drivers in the sport, bar none. And to have a guy like that also come to Ferrari like we've seen in the past just feels like Providence. You know what I mean? I love it. Yeah. Who don't I, look good I like in red? A lot. He's, he's going to look good in red. He's going <laughs> to look good in red. I will say that uh, it is exciting. This isn't the first time we've had 
a a a known great come to Ferrari. Um, but hey, our memory or our memories are short. It feels good every time it happens. <laughs> will will it work out? Is the question. Um, I don't know. You know the. It, it really looks like Lewis took a look at what Mercedes was doing, mm-hmm. and he took a look at next year's car, and he's like, "Like, hey guys, this ain't it." And I hear a lot of people saying, "Well, Ferrari's a big clown show. Uh, why is he going uh... over there?" But if you look towards the end of last year, they were starting to clean things up. His old team principal from GP3 and GP2, Fred Vasseur, is over there. He probably yeah. pulled Lewis aside and said. Hey, I think we got some things going on, and then something something arranges today. It's possible that that Bono may be coming across with him too. Okay. So, no Formula One driver moves in isolation. I don't think this is a Schumacher scenario where he's bringing the whole engineering staff over. Yeah. But if he can bring in a small core group of people that have been known to do well into the team, and then you know Ferrari, obviously, I would say they made the second fastest car last year. But okay. Lewis Hamilton was the third in the drivers' championship, uh, driving a shit box around. Yeah, and and he did it by you know executing and being consistent. Well, and helping to I... develop that car. You know, not all drivers do that, especially these days. Right. Lewis is one of those guys who does. You know, Schumacher was relentless for it. He was mm-hmm. always in the engineer's head. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's coincidence he helped bring Mercedes to second in the t- constructors last year from garbage. I think it's easy to forget yeah. the beginning of the year. That car was trash. We were like, what? Lewis Hamilton, <laughs> no matter how you feel about him, deserves a better car. And they created it, kind of. So the idea that they could do it for at Ferrari is exciting. I'll go a little bit deeper. I And I'm not a conspiracy guy, but you remember they used to change the rules a lot more often, and they changed them to sort of combat Ferrari's dominance, and I think they took it a little too far. You know, now there's no testing, which I don't think helps anybody, and we're not going to get mm-hmm. deep into those rules, but I don't think it's necessarily going to change how they create rules, but how do I put this? Yeah, Ferrari hasn't been competitive for a long time for the wrong reasons. And maybe adding Lewis will help change that sort of reliance on the rules to create parity. I don't know. I, maybe I'm a little optimistic. But Lewis Hamilton, is he's that guy. He's a catalyst. He is a catalyst. And we definitely will see. Like I said, they, they, they definitely, I would say they brought the second fastest car mm-hmm. to, to F1 last year. Um they failed to execute with the second fastest car. And again, I love Chuck and Carl, but we call him Chuck for a reason. Uh, Chuck Leclerc's a- been known to chuck a couple cars away. So, you know, a uh, couple it, of it, dropped balls here, a couple of dropped balls there. That that When that he's on a purple lap in qualifying, good. right? Uh, I mean, my butt clenches so tight because I know what's about to happen. <laughs> He's about to he's about to build us up just to tear it. But down. Ferrari, I guess getting back to your point about the competitive side, like, again... Red Bull's been dominating it, right? And it doesn't, with the way the rules are structured now, you can kind of forecast it every other year that it's not going to change much. With that said, Ferrari gets labeled as a clown show because of strategy mistakes, and they've, they've made some pretty bad ones too. But a lot of that is a factor of trying to be as competitive as possible without being able to compete at that level, right? Without being able to change enough. Like they're trying so hard to come back from being down four touchdowns. Right, that's what everybody's doing with Red Bull right now. While Max is like saying things like "it's boring up here," and what do you don't tell me not to go for the fastest lap? I'll do it on it anyway, and he does. Like, and Ferrari's just trying so hard. Um, 
I don't know if that means anything for Lewis Hamilton, but he's not going to hurt, right? He's going to help develop that car no matter where he's at, and to do it at Ferrari is it's awesome. It's awesome. I, th- I think to your point about mistakes being made on overreach, mm-hmm. which I believe is probably a large percentage of Leclerc's problems. He's trying to get 102% out of a car when, you know, for stopping. I, l- I love him for that. 99. Yeah, <laughs> right. no. Um, but working that edge of how far you can overreach versus dropping the ball, I think uh, Hamilton's had to do that in the past. I mean, the 2021 season was very tight. Uh, we in America are not nearly as butthurt about it as everybody else. It looks like more of an officiating <laughs> ball drop at the end of 2021 than anything else. Um, Kind of the last point I'm going to make on this. uh, uh, We have a phrase around here called push the red button. Yep. (laughs) And uh, around here, (laughs) around here, around America, we enjoy the fact that the international formula one coverage is advertising a uniquely English terrestrial cable service. (laughs) And that's just kind of like a small it's just kind of a small window into into the way we get to view the sport over here. And the pure schadenfreude of watching uh, the English F1 press have to deal with their god king moving over <laughs> to their sworn enemy at Ferrari. Uh, that alone will be delicious. Yeah. And again, I don't know if we reiterated this. This is for 2025, right. not for 2024. So we'll have a year of speculation and awkward meetings at the water cooler and oh hey how you going uh you know it's like the breakup the breakups already happened but they still have to ride the year out they're gonna talk about it dave i mean again not to be like dissenting but when ferrari fails i imagine they're gonna say things like is this really the team lewis wants to go to next year and things like that but you're right lewis is the british king right He's literally yeah. a knight, by the way, of course. I mean, I know you know that, but he is royalty at all, in every sense of the word, so to speak. And the fact that he's going to a team that the British press really kind of can't stand with Ferrari, mm-hmm. I kind of love it. I kind of love it. Ferrari's special, man. I kind of love it over here. I kind of love it over here. It's, it's going to be interesting. I can't wait to see the uh, the word jujitsu <laughs> that will be going on <laughs> this year and particularly in the next year. But... That being said, that's all next year. We have 2024 coming up. Hopefully, we'll have uh, some exciting other content with Mr. Gray Thompson coming up in the future. We're, we're, Can I ask we're a question? A couple of things. Yes, sir. Do you think that will go both ways, like the love? Like I think the Tifosi, for example, they've certainly had personal issues, so to speak, with Lewis Hamilton. I think that will go away real quick. I think he's going to be celebrated. Like Just the idea of Lewis Hamilton wearing red at Monza is going to be nuts. Do you think that's going to go the same way with, for example, the British fans who, you know, also adore Lewis Hamilton? Like, do you think that'll create more Ferrari attention and sort of respect, maybe? I don't know. Well, coming from the bleeding heart to Fosse side, I've always said if you put Vladimir Putin in a set of red overalls <laughs> and he brings home a ship for Ferrari, <laughs> guess what? I'm rooting for Putin. So uh, I don't think there'll be any issue on the Tifosi side. Uh, the British fans, I think, I think, like I said, I think the if they like the driver, they're going to follow the driver wherever he goes. I think the kind of animosity, at least in the coverage in the English press for Ferrari, is you know back to the Schumacher era. Uh, he 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 harshed their mellow pretty hard, and you know he took some professional fouls and legitimately did some some dirty deeds. But ever since then, and then you know you and I both, you know Ferrari. 
Ferrari had uh, some excellent fuel management going on in 2019. Uh, the undisclosed, nope. alleged, uh, excellent fuel management, as we say. So, <laughs> hey, I still I think Massa earned a championship, but go on. <laughs> there you go. So, but again, this is this is all water under the bridge. This is all the horse has been beaten down. Mm-hmm. You know, the Ferrari clown show jokes is beating a dead horse. We get it. Yeah. How far? How far down? Does that organization need to go before people decide? All right, mm, let, let's give him a second look. And I think the average Lewis Hamilton fan is just going to be excited that he's still in the sport. I don't think they really care what car he's driving. They just want to make sure. They just want to see him in a competitive car at the front of the grid. That's okay. I think you might have a really good point there. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, that you know, here at the roundup, we like and to cover the racing of the week. There they've still got a British really guy there. Reason. Yeah, they still got a British guy there, uh, Georgie Porgy Pie. We, uh, uh, be all I right. don't know. We'll uh, avoid speculating the whole who gets Lewis's seat. Yeah. We'll save that for a later time. We try to here on the show. We try to go on things that have happened, not about things that will happen. So um, that'll be for next time. But again, Gray, thanks for doing this, and hopefully, we'll be hearing a little bit more from you in the future. Like it or not, always. Thanks, Dave. Oh, thanks, Gray. So, wow, a lot of stuff happening in Formula One this week. Nothing on the track, but stuff that's going to have ramifications for the next couple years. Exciting stuff. Now to less exciting Formula One news. Haas debuted their car this week, beginning the paint jobs and promises portion of the Formula One season. Uh, It used to be a very spectacular rollout of new machinery we would see. The new cars, maybe we could glean some information about changes that were being made for the next season. But in the last couple of years, it's mostly just turned into rolling out a show car with a new paint job and saying lots of pretty things to the press. Haas was the first one to the table this week, February 2nd. I do have a rundown of the dates that the cars are going to be rolled out. It looks like Williams is going to be next up in the rotation on February 5th. The vaunted and much historic stake F1 team will also be rolling out their car on the 5th. Alpine will be on February 7th. Uh, Red Bull, or what is it, Visa Cash App RB, or as I'm going to be calling them for the rest of the season, V-Carb. V-Carb's new car will be rolled out on February 8th. Aston Martin will be rolling out on February 12th. Ferrari, my beloved Ferrari, will be rolling out on the 13th. Mercedes will be coming out on the 14th with McLaren. And the reigning constructors champions will be showing off their shiny, well, probably dark and scary new paint job on February 15th. A couple other little notes of things that I caught this week when scanning around it looks like last year's moto 2 champion and uh moto gp rookie pedro acosta knows his way around the Pang circuit i'd also say it looks like ktm's looking pretty good they had a little shakedown test there uh pedro acosta ended up being the fastest overall during the test with his teammate paul espargaro finishing second and Johan Zarco having switched to the LCR Honda, finishing the order in third. Uh, test times don't really mean anything, but it is very interesting to see a Moto2 rider switching up to MotoGP machinery, 
getting confident and quick early because that is a huge step in performance. Another thing I noticed, and another series we'll be covering purely based on the quality of one of the writer's names, it looks like Top Rack Razgatliagu topped testing times this week at World Superbike with the BMW. He switches over from Yamaha this year. And uh, Superbike is worth watching if only to hear the announcers say Top Rack Razgatliagu at the top of their lungs for an hour straight. I, I don't understand why they need to go with the guy's whole name, but I will have to admit it's one of the few racing series my wife will sit down and watch if only to hear the announcers fumble with that name. All right, that's going to do it this week for the Roundup. Uh, next week, I believe we've got WRC Boys going to show us how to go cross-country skiing in Rally Sweden. And we will have Pole Day for the Daytona 500. We're also going to get a visit from Brother Dave discussing why it may be time to accept NASCAR into your race fan heart. All right, thanks everybody for tuning back in. My name is Race Car Dave. Keep the rubber side down.